think the main thing that I have taken on board and that I think is very valuable and in line with the idea of centering the client is this idea of partnering with the client and not being in the driver's seat with regard to the process too much. That is Simply Focus with every Channel and Dominic Gouda for live and joy and deep. Are you ready for this new episode? Then please welcome your hosts, Elfie Cherney and Dominic Godin. Welcome back, everyone. This is episode 87, and we are here with Kirsten Gierolf today. Hello, Kirsten. Hey, how are you doing? We are doing great, and we're so happy to have you here on Zoom today with us. We were actually waiting for the right moment to visit you. It has not yet come, so we are excited to have this conversation with you online and to cover quite some topics with you. You're such an important person in bringing people together, in developing the solution-focused approach. You inspired Dominic and myself a lot all over the years, and we are very, very happy to be here with you today, Kirsten. So thank you very much. Thank you. We first met in 2005 at the Soul World on Interlochen, and ever since in the Soul World community, you've been such an important part. On the one hand, you brought Soul World to the German-speaking countries with the Soul World Dach. You were initiator of the Solution Focus World Conference in Frankfurt. You translated many books, you co-wrote books, you wrote books and brought so many Solution Focus aspects into not only the German-speaking but also the international global Solution Focus world. You're Master Certified Coach of the ICF. You're also President-Elect of the ICF Germany. You have a Coaching Institute Solutions Academy accredited by the International Coach Federation your solution folks trainer you do so many things online and offline and we are super curious what is it that fascinates you about solution focus well, apart from the fact that I don't really know anything else, solution focus is fascinating to me and has always been fascinating to me because it is such a respectful approach. And of course, a lot of approaches tell you and say and probably also rightfully say that they're respectful to the client. But I think in solution focus, we really take care not to interpret, not to take our own view of the world, our own, let's say, expert opinion about who the client is and what is really their problem or any of those things. But we are respectful in trying to help the client go exactly where they want to go without having any judgment about that. And for me, that's very, very important. Um, I remember when I was, I think, 18 or 19, I was studying theology and I wanted to do clinical pastoral counseling. So work in hospitals, etc. And the group of people who then introduced this program to us was very psychodynamic. So the first step in order to become a clinical pastor or counselor is that you have to reflect on your own family history and you have to talk about your mother, your father and what not before you can actually go about helping people. And I just fail to see how this is in any way relevant to me going out helping people who are in hospital and sick by having good conversations with them. So I think what's fascinating for me about the solution-focused approach is really 
that it helps people to have useful and meaningful conversations without one person thinking that they can be the expert for the life of the other person and that the client is always in the center and we as coaches or therapists we are there as the full person that we are so we don't pretend we're not there like in Rogerian or let's I don't know you know just mirroring we are here as our as our full human being but we also center the client and that's that's the most fascinating thing for me about solution focus and he learned solution focus directly from Incent Steve 2001 so what else was it that you saw there that attracted you I met Insu in 2001 at the coaching conference organized, I think, by Peter Zavo, Solution Surfers, and I acted as a translator for Insu and Louis. And I remember that even in preparation, I read Insu's book, and I also was able to listen to a few workshop recordings because I was going to do simultaneous translation and really need to know how a person speaks to see if you can actually pull it off. And luckily, Insu spoke very slowly and not a lot. I didn't know that Louis was not the same. So I had a bit more trouble translating Louis. <laughs> but okay, anyway, but in preparation, I already was very, very impressed at this ethos. And I was discovering something that really fit me at this point point in my life saying, okay, so here is something, a technique, a methodology that will actually tell me how to have meaningful and helpful conversations with the person without interpretation. And I think that was the main thing. And apart from that, Insu and Louis and Peter Zabo and everybody at Kati Hankowski I met there for the first time. And many other people were just such lovely and friendly and fun people that I just wanted to hang around with them more. And we're still all hanging around with each other. So. Yes, we are in a way. So what was it that kept fascinating you over the years then? I then continued to do the coach training with Peter Zavo and we swapped. I translated for Insu and for Steve. And instead of payment, Peter gave me the coach training. And so that was a win, 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 because I got to spend a lot of time with Steve and Insu. And once I had met Steve, I became very interested in the philosophy of the solution focus approach. And I have studied linguistics and theology, and I'm very interested in philosophy. So looking at not only what language you can use in order to have helpful and meaningful conversations, but also what is the philosophy of language behind it? What is the philosophy of cognition behind it? So if it's not about uncovering your neuroses and where they come from, what else is it about then? And of course, I knew Wittgenstein from way back when and was delighted when I discovered that Steve had written about it. And I remember when More Than Miracles came out, I managed to somehow through sneaky channels get an advanced copy. And I remember I got the copy, I printed it out, and I just read it like it was a page-turning mystery novel and reading the famous passages on Wittgenstein and emotions. And I was like, yes, yes, yes. I was so happy. <laughs> And he also wrote some articles. In the meantime, they will publish in the resource section. In the resource section of our podcast, you'll find all the books that Kirsten wrote and co-wrote and also translated and also some articles. And there are some very great articles about solution focus and philosophy or solution focus and systemic ideas, for example, and other ideas. And always very interesting, special take on that. And if you go to my website, www.kirsten-dierolf.de, you can find all of my publication, many as downloadable PDFs.
That's wonderful. Language, theology, philosophy, and working with organizations. How did that emerge? I was young and needed the money. <laughs> actually, thankfully for us, I guess. <laughs> I actually did need money in the sense that I was recently divorced and had two kids and had moved house to Frankfurt. And I was thinking, what is my skill set and where is money that will enable me to sustain my family? And I found that working in organizations and coaching is an easier way to spend less hours and have a good income. So I focused on that. At that time, I wasn't feeling very, very comfortable with, let's say, the deep and emotional conversations. I've become much, much, much more comfortable in the meantime. But I thought, okay, so coaching an executive, I can do. You know, I can talk, I can think, I can have good conversations. Do I really want to talk about deep personal, personal stuff? At that time, I was feeling insecure. And I think that's something that's a skill you develop over time. So at the moment, I would say I have as much as deep conversations with my clients as maybe a psychologist would have. But at that time, I was thinking, let's do something that's simple, that I can do, that gets me good money. And ta-da, organizational work emerged as an answer. Hmm. And what is it that you liked about working with organizations and leaders I mean, usually leaders that I coach are very intelligent people. And I think I have a special kind of skill in talking with people who think quickly and are able to deal with a large degree of complexity in a very short time. And that's why I think I'm good at coaching leaders and, and I don't have a hard time getting to eye level with my clients. I think that's one of the confusions that say between coaching and therapy and solution focus that in therapy, therapist tends to be seen as the experts. And there could be a power dynamic between therapist being status one up and client being status one down. And in coaching, it's actually a bit the other way around. You are a service provider for an organization. So you are not perceived as one up. It's more the issue of having enough standing, really being at eye level with your client. And I think that's what I enjoy most of. I enjoy my clients. I have wonderful clients, bright, smart, creative, lovely clients. And being at eye level with your clients is very important solution focus, solution focus coaching, solution focus work. It's also very important when I look at the ICF core competencies and you've been very involved with ICF in the last few years and also assess and accredit solution focus and other coaches. And it's always been interesting for me to see how this focus on those core competencies might also shape the way solution focus is done. So I'd be very curious to hear from you more about the core companies and the connection to solution focus and how they could benefit solution focus work or the other way around. Yeah, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, I think. ICF is very, very practice-based. So the way they come up with the core competencies is basically by committee. They just revised their core competencies and they did a competency, like a job analysis, competency research by asking 1,300 coaches for what it is that they actually do and what are the skills that they're actually using when they're coaching. And that then ends up by a system of elimination and a summary. That then ends up being the core competence. 
capacity. So it's not theoretically driven. It's not evidence-based. It doesn't have anything to do with outcome. It's basically what 1,300 coaches around the world, many of whom have been ICF trained, so are biased, agree on what good coaching is. I think it's not the best possible way to get at core competencies, but it's the one that we have. And it is, let's say, research-based if you believe that competency frameworks and creating competency frameworks is research, which you can also discuss about. But I think that it's a really good attempt at getting consensus about what is it that coaches do. And the good news for solution focus is that a lot of the solution focus ethos can also be found in the ICF core competencies. And I think that is what finally does make it compatible. This ethos of partnering with your client, of centering your client, of not knowing more about or not pretending to know more about the client than the client knows about him or herself. If you have an observation, always offering the observation rather than thinking that your own interpretation of the client is true. So that for me is the good news. There are other parts where I say it's not so compatible because of the atheoretical nature of the ICF core competencies. So there is no differentiation between postmodernism and modernism by nature of asking 1,300 coaches, it's a hodgepodge of theories. Hmm. But, you know, very usable. And I think with regard to solution focus, it's a good idea to talk to people who are not solution focused and to, as you said, learn from each other and see where you overlap and what other people and what other approaches can contribute to solution focus and vice versa. Hmm. So you say some of the competencies are in line with the solution focus ethos. And I also get the feeling that looking at solution focus from this perspective also gets some new ideas about how solution focus could be done, like the partnering aspect or other other aspects. What are some inspirations from ICF, from the ICF core competencies that you right now think, oh, that could be interesting to explore in solution focus more? I think the main thing that I have taken on board and that I think is very valuable and in line with the idea of centering the client is this idea of partnering with the client and not being in the driver's seat with regard to the process too much. I think Solution Focus always had that built in. I remember, for instance, Insu telling the story of a woman crying and talking about a problem for a whole session, and then Insu quietly listening with the solution-focused ear, asking a couple of coping questions, woman continuing to cry. Next session, same thing. And in the third session, Insu dared to ask, so how long do you think you have to talk about your problem before we can start finding out what you want instead? And Insu said, the client said, I need another two sessions, had another two sessions talking about the problem and then they started moving on. So I think this idea of following the client was built into solution focus right from the beginning. It might have gotten lost a bit. You know, there's also this story about Milton Erickson and the horse, finding a horse somewhere that got lost. And then 10 minutes later, the horse and Erickson ride into the farmer's driveway, exactly where the horse belongs. And then the farmer said, but how did you know where to bring the horse? And Erickson saying, well, I don't know. I didn't know. The horse knew. 
And those are stories that were told over and over again in Solution Focus years ago, maybe with this idea of the coach determining the process, this idea of the Solution Focus gallery. First, you get the ticket office, then you go picture of desired future, then you go picture of successful past museum shop, these structures and processes, or the UK SFP accreditation scheme where you have to demonstrate certain skills. And by the way, I Just this year, I became UK ASFP accredited practitioner. Woo! Yay! Yay! And well, you are also IST certified with your institute, right? And uh, SFIO certified. So there is really a person who knows how to deliver quality. So I really like that about you. And <laughs> I mean, I think I'm interested in how do we, in such a very, very fluid process like coaching, or therapy. How do we measure quality? How do we do that? How do we know that we are doing a good job, right? And I think going back to what I just said, the only person who can tell us whether we're doing a good job is the client. So I think really learning how to target and how to cater our way of working exactly to this one client. So this one client has a say in how the session is run, I think is crucial. And when you go back to, let's say, feedback informed treatment by Scott Miller, that's another training that I did last, <laughs> I think the year before last, even they would probably say there is a lot of evidence for this being a successful practice. Mm -hmm. So that's something I'm learning from Scott on the one hand, but also from ICF and ICF has very good ways and very good formulations, things that you can say in order to partner with your client. Yeah, so I wonder what are you doing differently now than maybe a few years ago? How does that show in your work? I just listened to a coaching recording that I made before I entered into the ICF process, which was a bit painful, both the listening and the ICF process. <laughs> But you know, you live to learn. So I think what I did before was still good work, but I followed the client very literally. So what do you want from this session? Or what are your best hopes from this session? And just going with that. Whereas now I'll try to find out more about what the client really wants from this session, which was also part of solution focus before it went into complete minimalism. So I remember Insu talking about getting the client to formulate a juicy goal. And I think I listened to, was it your interview with Heather? She was talking about juicy goals. And I think in North America, they've kept that tradition more alive than they have here about talking about things that are truly important to your clients. So not jumping into a goal or a miracle right away, but asking, suppose you had that, what would be better in your life? How is that important? for you, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. That's also what we noticed in North America, that people talk differently about this, let's say, first stage or first phase of a conversation. And of course, can also be later on in the conversation, but they mostly talk about, we find out what people care about. We find out what's important for them. We find out, well, where the juiciness is and all those different descriptions really are in line with what you're saying, yeah. And I have an article called The Five Steps for a Structure coaching session or something like that, where I talk about the double diamond of coaching that integrates talking about the important things and easy possibilities for partnering. So right now I would start with asking the client what they want to talk about. Personally, I don't do what are your best hopes from this session. I find that most of the clients don't know that yet. 
So maybe that'll be my third or fourth question. But if you say a double diamond, you have one diamond, you start with something and then you enlarge that. So suppose you had that, what would be better? And suppose in a month from now, you look back on this coaching conversation, what would tell you that it was really, really helpful for you? What's important to you about that? How do you know that this is important in your life, for example? Is there anyone in your life who taught you that this is important? So really finding out what are the important bits And then when that's been explored and we kind of know what the person wants from the session partnering and ask, have we explored this enough so that we can now set an agreement for what we want to achieve in the session? And then partnering again with how would you like us to think about it? On the one hand, having my solution-focused hat on and listening with solution-focused ears and listening with the idea that it might be good to talk about a desired future, that it might be good to talk about what's already happened that is going in the right direction, all of those ideas that I have. But if the client, as Insu did, if the client wants to be talking about something else, by all means... They can. And if maybe five minutes into the conversation, I feel the client is really digging themselves into a hole, which can happen. I can ask, hmm, can I interrupt you for a bit? Is this what we're doing being helpful for you? And if the client thinks it's helpful, it's helpful. I will jump into the hole and dig ourselves out again. Fine. But usually they won't. They'll say, oh, yeah, no, I think I've been complaining a lot. And then I can ask, would it be good to think what you want instead? And that I feel more comfortable with that than being the leader of the process. I'm trying really having this be a dance together rather than me steering the client into a direction of thought. Mm. Michael White had a lovely saying about this, which is loitering with intent. And that's another big influence on my coaching. I went to do a one-year training in Adelaide at the Dulwich Center. So I think if you combine narrative and solution focus, you end up with something that ICF would recognize as mastery. Hmm. So talking about narrative and solution focus, where do you see the connections and maybe the differences and, and similarities that are valuable for solution focused practitioners or might be valuable for solution focused practitioners? This is a question that's impossible to answer within, let's say, two weeks of me talking, but I will try. <laughs> 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 so, Jeff Chang and I offered a course last year on interactional coaching, which was an attempt to combine solution-focused narrative and ICF. And we just so enjoyed it. We might be offering it again next year. We'll see. And I'm also part of a little research group around this together with Rita and Jonas and Jeff and a lot of other people. So really fun group. And we're trying to figure out the answer to that question. And for me, the question is, how do I have a really meaningful and helpful conversation based on a firm grounding in social constructionism, Wittgensteinian philosophy of language, an idea that cognition is not something that happens inside, but is also always interactionally constructed. And I think if you combine solution focus, which gives you the forward moving aspect that you need for coaching, 
and narrative, which gives you the meaningful conversation that doesn't go into the inside, but stays interactional, you can come up with something that's pretty ingenious. And I know that when I'm doing it, and an ICF person is watching it, they see mastery. Not that I'm masterful at anything. I don't want to like pat my own shoulder here and say, oh, Kirsten, you're so great. But it seems to be that this technique is something that is recognizable as good coaching, even by people who wouldn't know the difference between postmodernism and modernism if it bit them in the behind. So I'm very curious to hear more when your research project is, well, further <laughs> developed. <laughs> uh, give me so the outcomes. The, the, yeah. <laughs> I just need 20 more years or something where just 48 hours a day, I would love to be able to write about this stuff. Well, so I'm waiting. <laughs> <laughs> We've also been talking about quality and also quality assessment. And you've been involved in SFCT. And for many years, I've been watching you kind of helping the solution folks community here in Europe, SolWorld community, people who work in organizations and do solution focus to really sharpen kind of how we recognize solution-focused practice. Mm. And it's very simple if you have just a five-step process and you could go and see, oh, this step, check, this step, check, this step, check. And if I look at your development over the years, I've gone away from techniques and tools to much more partnering, to much more being in this conversation together. So how can we still see solution focus? I think if you look at the clues that we developed for SFCT, that's all still there. It's just maybe there a little bit more gently. And what I do may or may not be recognizable as solution-focused. I'd have to talk to the powers that be in solution-focused if they can still recognize my coaching as solution-focused or not. <laughs> We have to ask 1,300 solution-focused practitioners. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, the coaching I did for the UK SFP accreditation actually was recognized as something solution-focused. So some people still say what I do is solution-focused. For me, the most important thing is not looking for mechanisms, not looking for patterns, not looking for expression of emotion, but looking at observable behavior in the situation when the desired state, outcome, whatever, when, when the miracle has happened, basically. And looking at all the things that happen that point in that direction in observable interactional terms. So again, it's always stupid that you can recognize solution focus by the fact that certain things are not there. So, <laughs> and that sometimes is the difficulty with the ICF markers or with the ICF accreditation system where the idea of language seems to be that of information transmission. Well, they say it's about co-creation, but some of the markers are still around understanding the client. And for us, it's never about understanding, it's about doing something together. But again, that's the nature of the beast. It's because of the different ways of coming up with competencies. So for me, really, it's the social constructionism. It's the basis in philosophy that you recognize when somebody leaves it. I'm not so sure you recognize it a lot when you are observing something in presence. And that makes it very difficult, I think, to come up with anything but, let's say, the clues or something that is evolving to ascertain, is it solution-focused or is it not solution-focused? 
So go and have a look at the clues. You'll also find them in the resource section of our podcast. They're very valuable, especially because they point to certain things that you might observe that might be there or might not be there. And you get a feeling for the whole conversation and not only for kind of, have you asked the miracle question or has she asked this question or did you do scaling? But you really did a fabulous job in pointing to those moments where you can see solution focus and where you could observe it. And I think that's for us, a very, very relevant contribution to the solution-focused field. Mm -hmm. I think it was a very important stage in the development of solution-focused to start agreeing on how we recognize it and how we can define it, not in the sense of excluding anyone. So not in the sense of saying only solution-focused is good, because that's not the case. I listen to a lot of good coaching in my job as an assessor for the ICF. That is definitely not solution-focused, but it works. They're in partnership. The client is happy. It's a good person talking to another good person. They're masterful in their language. Lots of really good things that can be observed. Is it solution-focused? No. So I think the danger is to equate solution-focused with good and anything else was bad, because then you get the idea, if I tell you, well, I don't think that what you did here was very solution-focused, that I'm issuing a value judgment. It's a description. It's okay. So you ask the client whether their problem is something that also occurred in their childhood. It can be a really good question for somebody to think about. Is it solution-focused? No. <laughs> and I remember we had these discussions before Interlaken, so in 2005, whether diagnosis is part of solution focus. And I think a couple of people offered a workshop there in Interlaken with the title, Is Diagnosis Forbidden in Solution Focus? And I remember entering the room and saying, it's so lovely you phrased your workshop so that we can answer with a yes right away. <laughs> Not in the sense that diagnoses are bad or they are language games. We can have meaningful conversations about classifications, about generalizations, about reification, about our innermost feelings and how they feel and where the problem is situated in our body. It's a language game we play and makes sense to a lot of people. It just doesn't make sense in a postmodern solution-focused framework. And I think, yeah, we should say solution-focused is a description of one way of looking at things. It's not the best or the only way or any of that. And it's a way that is certifiable by the ICF. And I wonder, you as president-elect of the ICF Germany and also a creditor of coaching what could be the good reasons for solution-focused practitioners to do this journey, go this journey to ICF certification? Going for ICF certification has mainly, I think, a business rationale. It's just the biggest coaching association in the known universe. There are, I think, right now over 30,000 members and credential holders globally, very active chapters. The ethos tends to be very, very close to solution focus. It is easy for solution focused practitioners to be accredited easier than in a lot of other associations because you don't need to be trained by an ICF accredited institute in order to be accredited by ICF. You can go via the portfolio route. Shameless plug, if you need any help, with ICF certification, talk to me. Solutions can be found. And we recommend going to Kirsten very much because we also have some friends who went this road and we always ask them at the end, well, looking back on your journey with the ICF and the ICF accreditation, what was it that really right now is very useful and worthwhile for you that you went the journey? And 
all of them said that in the beginning it was for business reasons. And now they have learned so many things about themselves, about how they do and, and how they are interacting in the coaching session. And it was really also a very valuable learning journey for them, not only torture. Yes, that's what I really aspire to. Because my own coaching journey, my journey learning masterful coaching was very uncomfortable, not because of my lovely, lovely mentors, but just because I had to grapple with these different ways of looking at things. And I didn't understand what they wanted from me. I remember my lovely mentor, Carly, telling me at one point, well, are you really paying attention to the full humanity of the client? And I was like, what do you mean? I have no clue. How would you notice that I'm doing that? So I kind of had to translate the feedback I was getting into, ah, okay, so this is what you would like me to do. So this is how they recognize it. And I hope going through that process has made it easier for my mentees when we work what I think is very useful for anyone who wants to learn anything about how they do therapy and how they do coaching is really look at transcripts and recordings of your own practice. Don't look at what you think you did because it's never what you think you did. It's really look at the nitty gritty. You said this, not microanalytical in the sense of good microanalysis, like a quick and dirty microanalysis. I know Janet Bevels would absolutely hate me saying that, but really look at what you're doing and don't look at what you think you did. And that's another strength of the ICF. They really require that. And that's another reason why I think ICF, while it is different from solution focus in some way, is very compatible if you want to learn something. You just need someone to accompany you who can speak in observable language, which makes it easier. Otherwise, you have to do the translation yourself, which is fine as well. So I can recommend my mentors. <laughs> yeah, and it's wonderful because with Kirsten, you can do that online as well. So wherever you are in the world, I guess yes. you can call her. And, <laughs> and you know what? The cool thing is, if we do that, we also save lots of CO2. Yes, that's true. You don't need to fly somewhere even though maybe if you want to visit her, she might also offer courses in person. Not so much these days, I guess. No, I do everything online if I can. So Kirsten, looking back on your solution-focused journey over many, many years, if there is one thing you learned and you have not yet mentioned that was really important to you and that might also be important to someone else, what could that be? I think the most important thing for me is learning to suspend your judgment. And I like this word because suspend for me means you take your judgment, you have a judgment, you have one. If you want to make yourself believe that you don't have one, you're probably lying to yourself. That's an interpretation. I'm sorry. But that you learn to recognize, yep, I have a judgment, that you take that judgment and you suspend it. So after the session, you can take it back. It's almost you take it, you hang it up somewhere. And for the time being, it's parked maybe on a clothes hanger or somewhere. And be curious irrespective of your judgment. And I think that is so, so helpful in so many private situations, in so many business situations, in so many coaching situations, just to recognize, aha, I am judging something now. Hmm, let's ignore that for a bit and start listening some more. Beautiful. So hang your judgment somewhere and take it with you or not later. Yeah, it might have changed when you take it back. Could be. <laughs> 
That's already a good challenge, even before we come to the challenge of the week. And yet we would love to invite you to give us your challenge of the week. Oh, in the true sense of partnering, we can do two challenges. Mm. So one would be the one I just described. When you are coaching someone or doing therapy or doing other solution-focused practice in education or whatever, and you notice yourself judging something or someone, finding a very good hook where you can suspend the judgment from and see how that feels, that would be one challenge. Or you could see if you could listen to one of your recordings of coaching someone or doing therapy or whatever, and look at where were all the situations where I could given my client a little bit more say in how the session is run. So am I leading the session? Is the client leading the session? Are we co-creating it together? And what tells me that we're doing any of those three? Wow. Thank you very much. Now we need to find a good tape <laughs> or maybe a not so good tape, <laughs> a tape. So thank you very much, Kirsten. And yeah, thank you. Can very I much. give you a tip, a tip for tapes? Yes, please. A lot of people say, but I can't ask my clients to do tapes. Ah. You can, you just offer it to the client as a service. You say, I will be recording this session and I will make this recording available to you as an additional service. So you can listen to what you said again. And would it be okay if I listen to this recording too? And then they say yes, usually. And then if you find it interesting, you ask them, would it be okay if I share this with my mentor or my supervisor? And they usually say yes. And if then your mentor or supervisor says, this is such a brilliant tape, you need it for certification. You ask the client a third time and ask, my supervisor thinks it's such a great session. Can I use it for certification? And most of the time the client will say yes. And what a lovely way to have the client in the process. A great example for what we are doing. So now we want you to be in the process and to comment and let us know what inspired you in this conversation with Kirsten, what was helpful for you in your journey and also what you found out in the challenge of the week. Let us know and comment on www.sfontour.com slash simplyfocusedpodcast and then go to episode number 87. And as usual, you will find the contact details to Kirsten, all the materials we mentioned and contacts to her upcoming courses in the resource section of this podcast. And there are two conferences coming up that you're co-organizing. The Trainers Conference in March 7 and 8 in Frankfurt. And brand new off the press 2022 SF World Conference version 2, probably in the Frankfurt area. Yeah. Third, week <laughs> Third weekend of September, probably. Yes, and we can't wait for that. So thank you very much for being with us today, for sharing your journey with us. Uh, really inspired both of us very much. And we can't wait to see you, Kirsten, and all others, all people who listen at one of those conferences that we just mentioned. Yeah, so once again, a big thank you, Kirsten, and a wonderful week to everyone. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Do you also like the Simply Focus podcast? Then help Elfie and Dominic spread the word. Give the Simply Focus podcast a five-star rating on iTunes, Google Play, and other platforms. This was Simply Focus podcast with Elfie Cherney and Dominic Godat. Your podcast for a life in joy and ease.